the revolution will not be televised, but it is being digitized right here on Digital Village. Hi, this is Rick Allen. And I'm Leilani Albano. On Digital Village, we're bringing you stories about the Internet and technology and how they're shaping culture, along with every other aspect of our lives. The digital revolution is indeed awe-inspiring, but can also be used for nefarious purposes. We're here to help prevent some of those abuses. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org and digitalvillage.org. So, on with the show. Governor Gavin Newsom announced plans to implement a first-ever mandate that requires all state workers to show proof of vaccination or be tested weekly. Health workers and those employed in highly crowded settings such as jails, senior and adult residential centers, and homeless shelters will be included in the protocol. The mandate, announced in late July, comes on the heels of a statewide upsurge in COVID infections because of the Delta variant. According to recent data by the California Department of Public Health, about 35.6% of coronavirus variants examined in June have been identified as Delta. This can be compared to May, when only about 5.6% of coronavirus cases were from the Delta strain. With us today is Rita Burke, Assistant Professor of Clinical Health Population and Public Health Sciences with the USC Keck School of Medicine. She discusses details of Newsom's mandate, as well as all things COVID, including vaccine-hesitant communities, LAUSD's vaccine mandate plans, FDA approval, and future predictions for COVID in relation to the Delta variant. She spoke with Digital Village's co-host, Leilani Albano. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Governor Newsom introduced a first-ever plan in the U.S. to require state workers to get vaccinated. Is it a good idea? Well, this is really a very bold first step. It's one of the only types of programs out there where he essentially mandated that state workers and those in healthcare facilities get vaccinated. And it's really done because California is one of the largest employers in the state. And so this is a way to protect people and community members who are around others from getting the virus. Can you go over again the types of workers that are going to be impacted? It's not just going to be like your garden variety government worker and services. It covers health workers too? It includes state workers and then those in healthcare as well as high-risk congregate settings. So that can include anything from assisted living facilities, from jails, from prisons, those that are in contact with high-risk individuals where the virus may spread very quickly. And why impose this mandate on them first? What's the thought? You've talked about California being a employer of these state workers, but is it because absent of any national mandate that state workers are the only group of workers that the government can require vaccinations from? That is certainly one of the rationale pieces of it. The other is, you know, being the one of the biggest employers, it's 
a way to ensure high coverage of people getting the vaccine. And so that's really one of the kind of streamlined ways of accomplishing that. I guess for people who may be more hesitant, they may see this as a way of slowly requiring all residents to get vaccinated. Do you think that that is part of the motivation? Yeah, I think anytime you have anything that is going to be required, there's always going to be two sides. Really, the rationale is that we know that COVID has not gone away and the vaccine is the best way in order to protect ourselves and our communities. And so this is a way to ensure that people are protected and that we don't see as many deaths continue to occur. So what brought us to this point? Weren't the vaccines supposed to solve all of our problems? The vaccine certainly was intended to help curb the virus, and it has. We have not seen the same level of hospitalizations that we did in winter, but it's only effective as long as people get it. And so we've certainly seen a leveling off of those who are getting the vaccine, and that's really the biggest issue. And so now our goals are to figure out, well, how do we get to those populations that are still resisting getting the vaccine? So we still have pockets of community members who are not getting the vaccine. And so our role now is to really understand what are the motivations, what are the hesitations behind not getting the vaccine. So even though there aren't as many hospitalizations uh, due to the COVID infections, are the number of infections indeed rising? Absolutely. So we've certainly seen an uptick in the number of cases as well as the number of hospitalizations. Granted, it's not as severe as it was in the winter months, but we don't want to get to that point again. And so we know that vaccination is the number one way to protect ourselves and others from getting COVID as well as getting serious, uh, critically ill. So even though there have been some breakthrough cases, so those who have received the vaccine have still contracted COVID, but they were not as seriously ill as if they had not received the vaccine. So do you feel like President Biden was celebrating a little too early when he had advised about a month or two that vaccinated people can go maskless indoors considering these jumps in infections? You know, I think we're still learning as we go along because this is something that we have never had to encounter in our lifetime. And we've seen how in the very beginning, you know, we had the, you were sure that we don't need masks. And then a few months later, well, you know, masks do help. And so we're learning as we go along. It's an ever-evolving virus. And so as we learn new information about the virus, the guidance is going to change as well. Initially, we believe that, you know, we don't need masks if you're vaccinated. But now we know that, especially with the Delta variant, that it is highly infectious. And we've seen that those with the vaccine can still get sick. So now with that new information, we realize that perhaps masks are still necessary with this new variant that's circulating. Right. And I think what is a little bit surprising and in some ways disturbing for others is to know that those who are vaccinated may have 
viral loads that are way higher than those unvaccinated. That is correct. And so, again, we're learning as we go along, which must be super frustrating, especially to the community members, because you know, some of us in the field can get confused. And so we can only imagine how it is for community members because information continues to change almost on a daily basis, it seems, sometimes. Going back to Governor Newsom's vaccine policy with state workers, what does it entail? So essentially it entails showing proof of vaccination or if folks are, for whatever reason, do not want to get vaccinated, then they will be tested at least once a week in order to ensure that they are, that they don't have COVID. And that was seen as a compromise, right? Because he's not mandating vaccinations for all. Exactly. So you have a choice. You can either get vaccinated. And if you choose not to get vaccinated, then you will be undergoing at least weekly tests. But the teachers union, UTLA, will be requiring regular COVID testing for everyone, regardless of whether or not they're vaccinated. In your opinion, is that a better approach? The rationale behind that is because we have seen these breakthrough cases with the Delta variant. Although it's a small, small percentage, it's under 0.5%, but we're still seeing it. And so that is a way to ensure that even if you are vaccinated, we want to really take that extra step of being super cautious and making sure that everyone is safe in our schools. And part of it also is because schools are such an essential part of our communities. And we've seen, you know, last year when schools closed down and how it had this trickle effect on every aspect of our infrastructure and our, especially, you know, the health and well-being of our kids. And so we really need to do everything that we can in order to make sure that schools remain open. And so that really is going above and beyond uh, to ensure everyone's safety. This is only my view. I think maybe some of the other groups are not catching on to that yet because they're thinking, well, where's the incentive of getting the vaccine, right, if you're going to get tested regardless? Right. You know, it's really this two-pronged approach where we know the vaccine is the best way to protect ourselves. But, you know, vaccines aren't uh, perfect. And so there are going to be some folks who still get sick. But again, I think it's really important to underscore the fact that even though you get sick, being vaccinated, you're not going to be as critically ill. And so that's really the key. So being tested even while vaccinated, that's an added layer of protection. Kudos to them to ensure that we keep our schools open as safely as possible. While New York is also mandating that state workers get vaccinated, Mayor de Blasio isn't requiring masks for indoor spaces. What are your thoughts on that? The rationale was because they followed the CDC guidance. And according to the the CDC guidance right now, masks are not being mandated. It's only a recommendation. And so we've seen that a lot of state and local jurisdictions have aligned and followed the CDC guidance. But doesn't that take away from the effectiveness of vaccines if you're not going to be practicing other things like masks? We've seen that masks coupled with vaccine are certainly more effective. The rationale in New York was we don't want to give 
people this false sense of security that, you know, you don't have to get a vaccine, but as long as you still wear a mask, you're okay. They really wanted to to emphasize uh, folks getting the vaccine. Uh, But we know, you know, in order to keep everything open, we really need to take all of those public health mitigation strategies from our toolbox and apply all of them. So that includes getting the vaccine, that includes masking when possible, that includes social distancing or staying outdoors. So we have all of these tools in our public health toolkit, and it's important to be able to apply all of them. At this time, about 54% of all eligible Californians are vaccinated, and the state continues to struggle to get more people to get the jab. Why is there so much vaccine hesitation, considering the fact that there are a lot more people who are alive because of the vaccine? Absolutely. So for some, it's fear of side effects. But we know that those side effects subside rather quickly, and they don't affect everyone. They actually affect a small percentage the other is really those who are in the wait-and-see group where they're thinking about getting the vaccine, but they're not sure, they're concerned about safety, and so they're waiting for the FDA to fully approve the vaccine uh, because that gives them, for whatever reason, a uh, bit more confidence in the safety of the vaccine. And then you have, you know, the third group that really, no matter what, they're not going to get the vaccine under any circumstances. That's small group really, really difficult to convince and not sure that our resources should be focused on those. We really need to focus on those who are kind of in the wait and see category. There's also those that perhaps want the vaccine, but because of work, because of distance, uh, because of other competing demands and family responsibilities or access are simply unable to get the vaccine. And so those are the groups that we really need to focus on to really hone in on understand what the hesitation or what the barriers are and develop programs in order to address those barriers. There are also groups, global majority groups, as well as young people who still don't want the vaccine. But in terms of from different racial and ethnic groups, have there been efforts to really address their hesitation towards the vaccine? Absolutely. So there have been some partnerships with communities, such as faith-based organizations. We know that for many communities, faith-based organizations are central to their communities. And so that kind of offers a stamp of approval in many ways on the vaccine. And so there have been partnerships with faith-based organizations. There have been collaborations with barbershops. We know that for some communities, that is central to their neighborhoods. And so there's certainly been a concerted effort to really reach out to trusted members of the community to establish partnerships that will help disseminate the vaccine and answer any questions uh, and have kind of experts in the field who are able to allay concerns and provide the vaccine. And so we need more of that. We need more of those partnerships. We need to really figure out what communities are going to be most responsive to in order to get the vaccine. And then we also see this other kind of like carrot stick approach where uh, Governor Newsom has been offering incentives, even to the point of not just concert tickets and entering people's names on the lotto. He's offering cash rewards for people on Medicaid. Have they been effective, these incentives? 
So we've certainly seen an uptick in folks getting the vaccine once these incentives have been offered. And so it's really any which way. For some folks, that was what was kind of the most incentivizing for them. And so they figured, okay, might as well. And so that's great because, again, our goal is to get as many people as as possible vaccinated because, again, we know the vaccine works. Not 100% effective. It's not, nothing is 100%. No vaccine is 100%. But we want to get as many people as possible vaccinated because we know that offers the most protection against COVID. Well, these days, the Delta is the predominant strain. Where did it come from? And what are the symptoms? Are they the same? So that's a great question. So this is kind of what a virus is, is evolved to do as it evolves as it mutates. Its goal is to get more and more people sick. And so this is what we're seeing with the Delta variant. And it's really important to also remember that as a virus mutates, the symptoms can change as well. And so with this Delta variant, we're seeing symptoms that are more consistent with those of mild cold or flu, such as a runny nose, a sore throat, congestion, which is very different than what we've seen from some of the previous variants where, you know, we've heard a lot about shortness of breath. And so it's important for folks to remember that even though they're not seeing symptoms that were consistent with what we've heard about in the past, they could still have COVID. And so it's really important to get tested, even though you might feel just a little sick uh, and you're like, oh, this may be nothing. But remember that this might actually be the Delta variant that has a very different panel of symptoms. And how should we be changing our approach to the variant? Are the masks, the cloth masks, as effective against the variant? And in terms of our precautions, are they as useful against the variant? So we still need to remember that COVID is not going away and we still have to remain vigilant. I think that's the most important, but at the same time, the hardest piece to remember, because here in Los Angeles, when we opened back up in on June 15th, you know, there was this feeling of, okay, things are back to normal now. And that's really not the case. We still have to remain vigilant because COVID is really not going away. This is going to be a fight that we have for a while. So all of those public health mitigation strategies that we talked about at the very beginning, the mask wearing, the hand washing, the social distancing those are still very relevant, probably more relevant now than, than months ago. And so we know that masks are effective. When a virus is more infectious, they may not offer as much protection, but they are still, it's still better to wear a mask than not wear a mask. They're still protected. Uh, and again, those hand washing, socially distancing when possible are all effective strategies. At this point, our experts saying, hey, let's all wear the N95s because those are incredibly uncomfortable. Yes. And I don't think we have to go to that point, but cloth masks, especially for children when they're in school the whole day, they do offer protection. Again, depending on the mask, some offer more than others, but we know that when you have that barrier, that respiratory barrier, it's better to have that than to have nothing at all. So now 
There are other variants, and I'm not sure if the Lambda variant from Peru is a variant of concern, but are our current vaccines effective against the Lambda? So uh, it ha- the Lambda has popped up in a couple of states, so we're certainly staying vigilant and seeing what's going to happen if it's going to spread to other states. The vaccine has proven effective against all the previous variants. So because of how it has been designed, we do expect it to be protective against future variants. Now, there there may be one that becomes completely uh, resistant, but that is is unlikely, again, because of how the, the vaccine has been designed to combat covid Okay, so, but do we know definitively yet in terms of Lambda, or are we still trying to figure out whether or not the the current vaccines are effective? We're still trying to figure it out. I haven't seen any research uh, that looked at uh, the effectiveness of the vaccine against Lambda. I think that's what's a little bit scary, for me at least, to know that, that we could get to this point where they at some point could be resistant to the current vaccines? Sure. But again, that is unlikely, again, because of how the, the vaccine was designed. And, you know, the overarching message really is that we don't want to get to that point. And so one of the best ways to avoid that is to get as many people vaccinated as possible in order to kind of stop COVID in its tracks. And so, again, the more people we get vaccinated, the less of those pockets where the virus is able to mutate uh, is available to it. And I think that something that didn't occur to me until I read it, where if you get people vaccinated as soon as possible, you may cut down on the number of variants, right? And then these variants tend to be in some ways more lethal or they're just unpredictable. Yes. Well, you know, the, the goal of any virus is to reproduce and to get as many people sick as possible. And so when you cut that off, when you get as many people vaccinated as possible, so the virus is not able to mutate in order to become more infectious or spread it more quickly or so you're able to then kind of cut off the ability of the spread and to potentially produce those variants. Well, going on to a different topic, some people have been pushing for FDA approval for the vaccines for some time. Tell us about that. Why is it taking so long? Yeah, the FDA approval process is a very rigorous process. They certainly prioritize getting the COVID vaccine fully approved, but it is a rigorous process. There's thousands and thousands of pages that need to be reviewed. There's clinical data. It's important to remember it's not just clinical data that there are looking at. They're also looking at manufacturing data, safety data. They're meeting with folks from the companies. This is something that takes time. There are some new sites that are hinting at some kind of political implications of either way in terms of getting FDA approval or not. Uh, I mean, it became a politicized uh, Topic and hopefully we're able to move away from that and really just focus on the science and the safety of the vaccine and make sure that everything is in order so that we can move this forward and the vaccine can receive full FDA approval. And what difference does it make 
whether or not we get FDA approval? Well, we've seen that for some pockets of communities, it actually has some weight where one of the reasons that people decided not to get the vaccine was that they cited that it received only emergency approval and not the full FDA approval. And so it's important for folks to really understand the difference. And perhaps with the FDA granting full approval, it will encourage more people to get vaccinated. And are we expecting FDA approval anytime soon for most of the vaccines? I know, at least for now, we have approval of booster shots for those with compromised immune systems. Right. So the full FDA approval should come by either the end of this year or the beginning of next year. It's something that we all wish would have happened yesterday, but hopefully they're able to streamline it as quickly as possible. Well, going back to this issue of booster shots, all of this is conversation is really about how do we get to ending this whole nightmare of COVID? I guess the fear for people for the booster shot is like, okay, I'm going to get the third booster shot. And then what now? I'm going to have the fourth and then the fifth. I mean, what is... What is the end goal here? I mean, do we really just want to stop the symptoms or are we at the same time that we're trying to get vaccines? Are we really looking at the root of COVID? Are we are we getting any closer to that and and seeing how we can just stop it once and for all? Sure. So the the rationale for getting booster shots to those with underlying conditions or with immunocompromised systems is really they are the most vulnerable. And even though they make up a small percentage of our communities, but they are the ones who are most at risk and who may also spread it to families. And so we want to make sure that we protect them. And so we know that over time, the effectiveness of the vaccine can wane. And so as a way in order to make sure that they are protected, booster shots are now allowed to that segment of the population. And so that's really a way of of protecting them, making sure that those who are most vulnerable to COVID, uh, who are at highest risk, uh, are protected. But in terms of the question of, are we going to get booster after booster? You know, that is certainly a possibility. We do that with other vaccines where we have booster shots after a certain period. And so that is a possibility. Again, we are the, perhaps the frustration with this pandemic is that we don't have all the answers. We're learning as we go along. And so it may very well be that we realize, you know, booster shots are effective in combating COVID. And so we now need to give folks a booster shot. I don't know that we can ever eradicate it. We'll probably still have pockets here and there, but it really significantly decrease the number of cases that we see and the number of hospitalizations. Then that may very well be a possibility. I mean, if you look at it another way, flu shots are like booster shots, right? Because we have to get them every year. So it's not like that's a really terrible thing because some people are just kind of used to getting flu shots. No, exactly. We've seen this before. And so that's a great example of where we prepare flu shots depending on what strain we think is going to be circulating that year. And so folks get them on an annual basis. So this isn't a new concept. So just going back to the issue of this new mandate on state workers, do you feel like the U.S. is on the trajectory in terms of achieving herd immunity? Or if not, what else needs to be done so we can get to that path? 
Now, the herd immunity is an interesting topic. So we really have to look at two main numbers. It's those who have gotten sick with COVID in the past and those who have received the vaccine. So if we look at those two numbers, you know, we are very close, if not already there. But we're really concerned about those pockets of folks who have not gotten the vaccine because they also are able to spread the disease very quickly among their communities. And so that's really the, the pockets that we need to target. Well, thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. That was Rita Burke, Assistant Professor of Clinical Health Population and Public Health Sciences with the USC Keck School of Medicine. She spoke with Digital Village's Leilani Albano. That's it for this episode of Digital Village. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org. And digitalvillage.org. Thanks for listening to Digital Village. I'm Rick Allen. I'm Leilani Albano. And we'll see see you online. online.